We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Amen. Now, if you would, turn in your listening sheet. We're going to read aloud together uh, James 3, 8 through 12. And so if you would, let's stand and we'll read aloud. This then is the text for today. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. May God bless the reading of his word. When I was a small child, my parents moved from Waldo, Arkansas to Carrizo Springs, Texas. And when we first moved there, I had the most endearing Southern Arkansas accent, or so my mother told me. Much later in my life, uh, my dear friend Rebecca Frazier told me that I had a strange twang when I showed up. I guess my rural Arkansas accent sounded much different than a South Texas accent, so much so that she still remembered it all those years later. But who do you believe, your loving, caring mother or Becca? Which one do you expect to tell the truth? You know, as I grew up uh, my life in Carrizo, that old accent left me. And you know, now I smile every time I hear that old southern accent in children and wonder if that is what I once sounded like. You know, I don't think it took too long, maybe a year or two, and my accent morphed into something more Texan. And I never looked back. Accents change over time. Your accent changes by location. But more importantly, your accent changes with Christ. Before Jesus Christ, you have an accent that resonates with the world. You, you have this worldly cadence about you. You have the same kind of inflection. And it all transcends dialects with a specific kind of cutting. You see, that worldly accent carries with it a hint of vulgarity, and it overwhelms you with prideful condescension. And then it morphs with cultural whims. And you see, all of this is inevitable without Jesus Christ. You know, I know it seems like these days we hear things that are more vulgar than before, but let me remind you, life without Jesus has always been this way. People have never been able to control their speech. And in fact, the longer you let people talk, 
the more they will reveal their accent and that it is spawned of darkened hearts and sinister minds. It's always been this way, and none of us are immune to this. We have all known this accent. It has come from our mouth, just like it has come from every uh, speech of every person who has ever walked the face of this earth. It's always been this way. In fact, that's what uh, verse 2 is telling us. If you look down with me, James chapter 3, verse 2, this is where it is taking us. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect uh, able to bridle the whole body as well. You see, as sin goes, we all have our favorites. We all have certain sins ingrained in us that, that are more tempting than other sins. Some of us have more of a problem with greed than we do with lust. Other people have more of a problem with, with gluttony than they do with jealousy. You know, it's as if before Jesus Christ... We have our favorite sins that just sort of sweep us away with little effort. These are the sins that plague us often so that when Satan needs a foothold, he knows he can put this sin back in front of us and will melt like ice cream in July. We all have those, but, but James is saying, let's look at something else. We all have those, but there is one sin that all of us have in common. There's something that trips every one of us up. You see, none of us can control the tongue. See, every one of us in this room have spoken out of turn so that we broke something. Every one of us has spoken, spoken in such a way that we have uh, broken relationships. Every one of us has spoken in such a way that we have broken family members. Every one of us has spoken in such a way it's that worldly accent where we have even broken ourselves. And all because of our biting before Jesus Christ accent floods this life with lies. And the lies pile up to the point where you don't know what lie you told and you don't know where, where you end and the lies begin. Our mouths are a mess before Jesus. This is where our reverse text is reminding us of today that we all stumble in this way. And in fact... In reverse, we see there's two very specific ways that the Scripture tells us that we struggle here. There's, there's others, too, but in here we have two ways in particular that come before us that are often ways we struggle with our speech. We'll, we'll look at verses 5 and 6 and 9 and 11 as we work down through here. And so when you don't have Jesus Christ, it's like what it says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. So here's the first problem that we have. This is the first uh, hint of the accent of the world is when we come boasting. You see, when someone hasn't spent time with Jesus Christ, when you haven't been near him, your accent reeks of pride. In fact, what we do is we all just take credit for anything and everything of this life. We'll, we'll take credit for how well we've done. We'll take credit for how well things are going. We'll take credit for how well our kids are doing. And usually, when we haven't spent time from Jesus, we even boast that we can fix everybody else's problems, that we know how to fix your problems, and, and you'll hear out of yourself where you just come up with all kinds of other solutions for other people's problems because you think you might be able to fix them. It's more than this, though. It's, it's people will boast in anything and everything. When we haven't been near and with Jesus Christ, we boast of every kind of thing. We begin to just uh, boast of, uh, about the best cars. We begin to boast about the best football teams. We boast about the best nations. And all of this boasting is problematic because all of it, every time we boast, 
It undermines the sovereignty of God. You see, what boasting is, boasting is stealing the credit away from God. When good things happen, when good things happen to you, when good things are happening in your family, when good things are happening in and around you and your church, and you take the credit saying, this is something that I have done, that's stealing the credit and glory away from God, and this is boasting and this is evil. It undermines what God is doing on this earth when we take credit for the things that God has been doing. You know, what's incredible is as you move down into verse 6, you see that, that when we boast of ourselves, or even when we boast of any earthly thing, it says your mouth is like a flamethrower, and you spew damage every direction you turn. So when you're boasting and say, I can fix this, or when you're boasting, when you say, I did this, when you're boasting and said, I made this happen, you're bringing damage. And with your boast, you're turning your life into a lifeless field of charred stumps. The flames you spew suck the oxygen out of the room, leaving nothing left to breathe. Boasting has ruined us when we claim the credit for the things that God has done all around us. You know, then as you, you move down to verse 9, and you, you see it down in verse 11, there we find the best friend of boasting. Here we find the word cursing. See, this is the other problematic thing we have with our language. We, with one, we boast, and in another way, we curse. And you know, our biblical illiteracy limits us here. And this is what I mean, because usually, when we think of cursing, we think of four-letter words, things that sound improper in civilized society. Or something like this, when, when a kid reads about Balaam in Numbers 22 in the KJV, or, or when the choir sings, what child is this at Christmas, and they giggle, those are the kinds of things we think of when we think of cursing. But, but dig deeper here. Go, go below the surface here when we think about cursing. Cursing is condemnation. Cursing is speaking destruction into existence. Cursing is speaking the hurt of another. Cursing is plotting demise of another person. But cursing is dreaming of their death. You see, this is cursing, cursing at its core. This is when you speak destruction over another person. This is when you speak destruction of the people around you and you try to tear them down with your language where your words come in and you just burn burn the room down with fire and you cut them down as best you know how with what you are. This is cursing. You see, a curse is when you yell at your mother that you hope to never see her again. A curse is when you, you, you tell your father to die before you will come back into his house. Th these are curses that cut deep. Like when you yell at your child and you tell them they are worthless. It's like when you're, you're screaming at your spouse to go to hell. These are powerful words used by people who haven't been with Jesus. You see, these are cursings that come out of our mouths when we haven't been near the Christ because he hasn't taught us the way then because we haven't been near to know his accent and know the kinds of things he would say in this kind of a situation. Cursing is when we speak destruction to the people around us. You see, these curses are spoken over life so that it might end. 
And that's what the world has for you. The world has for you an end and destruction before you. That's the kind of accent the world has. Those are the kinds of things the world speaks of, destruction and death. But in Jesus Christ, when you are with him and you are near him, you speak truth of life so that life begins anew. And you begin to see life spring up around you where it wasn't before. Hope is found instead of hopelessness. Life where death reigned. And you know, the scripture here makes a distinction I don't want us to miss in verse 11. Here, the the Spirit leads James to write an odd word. You know, James describes here uh, water. And there's there's a dichotomy in the water where you have fresh water and you have bitter water. What's interesting about that word bitter, there there are a number of other words he could have used and should have used instead of bitter here. But Scripture seems to be making a clear and distinct connection between the speech of an unbeliever, a speech of someone who hasn't been near Jesus, and bitterness. That if you ever hear a hint of bitterness, beware. Bitterness is the accent of evil. Now, for those who come to know Jesus, though, for those that love Jesus and spend time with Jesus, for those that obey Jesus, who follow him to the ends of the earth, our accent begins to change. Now, it takes some time, but slowly, the accent starts to shift from bitterness into blessing. Just like little Chris Johnson in Carrizo Springs, you can break the bitterness and speak the holy blessing in Jesus Christ. You know, it can start out really slowly. You know, especially if you don't immerse yourself in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If this doesn't become a part of who you are, if this doesn't become a part of the daily life, it's, it's like learning a language from afar. You know, when, when you go and you learn a language, it's so much easier if, if you immerse yourself in it. It's so much easier to go and and learn the accent and learn how to roll the R's if you're completely surrounded by it. If you're only trying to learn from afar, it is painstakingly difficult, if not impossible, to lose the accent of bitterness. You see, for us, we have to just jump right into Jesus Christ to fully get this right, for our accent to change, to say the kinds of things that he would say. We have to go in full force with everything that we are and hold nothing back and say, Jesus, take me, and Jesus, change me. See, when you immerse yourself in Jesus Christ, the bitterness slowly begins to turn into blessing. You know, when you look back up at at verses like verse 5 and verse 6, When you're immersed in Jesus, you no longer boast about yourself. You no longer say, I am the one doing these things. You begin to look up and give God the credit for the good things that you see around you. Because the glory belongs to God. That that God deserves the credit for everything, for life, for every good and perfect thing around us. They are his and they are from him. So that we no longer take credit, but we look up and we glorify our God above because he is the giver of every good thing. And so he changes our life so that we no longer boast about us. It's no longer about I. It's no longer about me. Because there's something greater than that. You know, one of our our church members, Don Jennings, uh, loves to study Abraham Lincoln. He shared a story with me a couple of times. 
that if you study Abraham Lincoln's speeches, you begin to see this new accent of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that if you look at two of his greatest speeches, the second inaugural address and the Gettysburg Address, two of the greatest speeches in American history, Lincoln rarely used personal pronouns like I or me. In fact, he only used them twice at, at the beginning, uh, a passing paragraph of, of the second inaugural speech. In fact, in the Gettysburg Address, he never once used a personal pronoun, instead using we or all. And listen, this is how he ended the Gettysburg Address, that this nation under God, you see who he's pointing to here? where the credit goes and where the hope is found. Under God, we shall have a new birth of freedom, a government of the people, by the people, for the people that shall not perish. And I want you to listen. A larger sec uh, section of the second inaugural address, listen to who he points to, who he boasts of. If we shall suppose, this is Abraham Lincoln, if we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, so these are the last couple of paragraphs of this famous speech. He points up, he says, in the providence of God must needs come by which having continued through his appointed time. So he's talking about God here, through God's appointed time, he now wills to remove, he's talking about God here, God wills to remove that he gives, that God gives both to the north and south this terrible war as to the woe due to those by whom the offense came shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes pointing up to God which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills, again, he's pointing up in his second inaugural address, pointing up to God and quoting James chapter 4 here, if God wills that it continue until all wealth piled up by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword as was paid for 3,000 years ago, so still must it be said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He's pointing up. And then last paragraph of this great American speech, with malice towards none and charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall born the battle and for his widow and his orphan to achieve and cherish a lasting place among ourselves and with the world to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with the world all nations you see when you hear a speech like this it carries an accent of blessing the accent of someone who knows and trusts God above not boasting in himself but in the glory and name of God that language is even reminiscent of James chapter 4. If you look over with me, this is a passage we're going to study in a few weeks. James chapter 4, verse 13. This is where James begins to describe boasting again. And this is what he begins to separate with people who have been with Jesus and people who haven't been with Jesus. This is where the boasting begins to separate out. He says, come now you who say. And he's saying, this is boasting. This is people who haven't been with Jesus. 
Today or tomorrow, we'll go do such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. He's saying, this is boasting. When you say, I'm going to go do this tomorrow, I'm going to go do this next week, and we're going to go and we're going to make a profit and we're going to do these deals and make all this. He's saying, this is boasting because what you're saying is, I'm in charge of tomorrow and I know what's going to happen tomorrow. He said, this is all boasting. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and you are not in charge of tomorrow. So don't even say, don't even hint that you are in charge of tomorrow. That is boasting when we have been... With Jesus, we know only he is in charge of tomorrow. In verse 14, this is where he points us, uh, James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. This is what someone who's been near Jesus knows and says. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, and if you've been with Jesus, these are the kinds of things you say. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. You see, when you, when you know Jesus, you don't boast about tomorrow because you're not in charge of tomorrow. Only God is in charge of tomorrow. You know, as we move down through verses 9 and 11, we hear Jesus, uh, excuse me, James in the Scripture condemns the divided tongue that before Jesus, your accent twangs toward cursing. Even if you take time to praise God in another breath, you see, once you know Jesus, that accent begins to change. And and with your tongue, you you praise the Lord above and you bless those around you. The people that you are near and the people you're with will know your blessing and will know the blessing that comes from heaven. And then you'll pray over them blessings from God and recognize God's sovereignty in their lives. You see, in Jesus Christ, and when you're with Jesus, your speech becomes constructive and life-giving. Your words point people to truth that builds them up and makes them better. And instead of wielding a flamethrower, you now speak more like a watering can. So that when it is used, it softens the soil so that a blossom might emerge. You see, this is the work of God in your life. God is one who creates, and God is one who recreates, and God recreates you from the inside out so that your voice changes its timbre from bitterness to blessing. But we need to acknowledge something. This, this, is, about, this, this is with our boasting here. We need to acknowledge this is not just something that we can muster up. You, you can't muster this up in, in your own strength and in your own will. You can't change accents on your own. The only way you change your language is to spend time with Jesus. You've got to get down on your knees in prayer. You've got to cuddle up with Scripture so that it becomes a part of who you are. And the more time you spend with God, slowly your language starts to change. Your accent begins to shift from bitterness to blessing. Your words sound different to the point that that people will start to notice because more and more you start to sound like Jesus Christ instead of yourself. You start to sound like Jesus Christ instead of this world. And, And this Jesus that we love and we hold on to spoke with a distinct accent that is unlike any other on this earth. And so go sit with Jesus. Go learn his language. Say the kinds of things that he said. 
And life will be very different to you and to those around you because not only will life well up inside you, but, but blessings are gonna come up out of you and just spray out of you like a watering can on everybody that's around you so that they find new life too and the recreative powers of God begin to manifest itself in your life and the life of the pe- lives of the people around you. It's powerful. Your speech is powerful. And when you speak in the accent of Jesus Christ, life changes. Not yours alone, but yours and the lives of the people around you begin to change. Go sit with Jesus. Go learn his ways. Go learn his words. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.